When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the Monday show. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove, joined by Aaron Stokes as we look back on yet another victory for Newcastle United, a thumping 4-0 win over Crystal Palace. Now see Newcastle United lie sixth in the Premier League, unbeaten in their last five with four wins and one draw. Chuck in a draw with Milan and the beating of PSG in the Champions League and the dumping of Man City out of the League Cup. The Magpies find themselves on an eight-game unbeaten run. Coming up on this week's show, we look back on a dominating yet relatively easy and some might say routine victory over Crystal Palace. We'll talk the man of the match performance of Jacob Murphy, the near unbeatable defensive pairing of Jamal LaSalle and Fabian Chair, and of course that heartwarming reception given to Sandro Tonali with plenty else on the table to talk about as well. This is the Everything is Black and White podcast. Make sure you follow and subscribe on whichever platform you're tuning in through. Let's get on with the show. Aaron, you well? Yeah, very well. Um, just, as you say, another routine, comfortable win. We're starting to get used to the moments in James's Park these days. We are indeed, and it is getting some uh, used to just these teams that Newcastle United should be beating, turning up, and then Newcastle United beating them. And uh, I think that's what I really want to want to focus on to begin with, because I said after the Magpies beat Burnley that they're becoming that team that routinely do what you expect of them, but kind of a good expectation not one where they slip up against, with all due respect, these lesser sides, but in Newcastle United where they meet your expectations of beating those sides. Now, Palace, let's be honest, is a much harder task than, than Burnley. Uh, they came into this game unbeaten in three in the Premier League with three clean sheets um, and, and a victory over Manchester United as well. Now, they're a very underrated side, a solid Premier League establishment, I think, yet Newcastle made them look like relegation fodder. And I, I think that's kind of been, been uh, fair, you know. And... That's this Newcastle United side. They beat teams that they should do. And at the moment, they're beating them very comfortably as well. Yeah, they are. I think, you know, you look at... I know it's certainly before the game on Saturday, I was speaking to a couple of people and saying, you know, what do you think? And they were going, oh, well, you know, it's always nil-nil when we play them. Or, you know, we always struggle to beat them. And a, a few people were saying it's going to be a close little one-nil. You know, I don't think anybody was really expecting that. Especially when, he, as you mentioned, Palace's form going into it. Be very compact at the back. And I think, you know, given that we were in Roy Hodgson's press conference after, I think he was surprised, really, at how poor his side were. Taken off the way from Newcastle, who I thought, as you say, were dominant. Played some really, really nice football at times. But Palace made it easy for them. But just on that on that point of Newcastle now beating these teams, you go back to the start of last season and they drew with Palace. You know, Isaac missed that chance. They drew with Bournemouth in and around that time. You know, you even go to New Year's Eve, the Drew will Leeds. You feel like now they don't do that against those teams. 2023, the teams at the bottom of the league, they're putting away comfortably. Um, and look, everybody says, you know, it's, it's the sign of, you know, a really good team when they're taking points off City or Liverpool. But actually, it's making sure you don't slip up against the teams that are, you know, maybe in the bottom half of the table. And Newcastle, at home especially, just don't do that these days. Yeah, because these kind of results, picking up three points against the likes of Palace and Burnley, it, these three points set the foundation for then going on to beat hopefully that the sides in and around you in the top six. And I also think actually teams like Palace and Burnley, and I'm not saying they're right off coming to St James's Park. They don't, you know, think, oh wait, we definitely can't get a result here. But I don't think they come here expecting to get a result. And I think that's a key difference as well. And that's testament to to how Eddie Howe was set up as Newcastle United side where the teams again in the bottom half of the Premier League are, are fearing the travel to St James's Park because they know what Newcastle United on their day can do to them. 100% and I think you know I was I was looking up at the away end the other day and I was thinking all those Palace fans have they've battled rain and storms and all that to get up here and within four minutes they're already a goal down and as you say you know teams already fear it you felt like already after four minutes when Newcastle had started really on the front foot it was going to be a very long afternoon for Palace to try and come back. They offered very little going forward, I must admit, Palace. Um, but I think Newcastle made it that way. You know, we always look back on that Liverpool game of, you know, why did uh, Newcastle not kill it off? You felt like against Burnley Palace, they've made sure they just needed to do what they what they need to do. Um, 
But as I say, I thought they played some really, really nice football on Saturday. No, they did, and it was a it was a performance in which they never really worked up a sweat. Yet they looked absolutely superb, and you know, it, it was four 0 But it could have quite easily been six or seven had other chances gone Newcastle United's way. And I, I really did feel for Tyreek Mitchell um, down Newcastle United's right, obviously <laughs> Palace's left back, because he was absolutely terrorised by Kieran Trippier and Jacob Murphy with a little help from Sean Longstaff. And it was one of those performances in the first half where if Roy Hodgson had decided to take him off with half an hour gone, you wouldn't have been surprised because Newcastle just kept going down wave after wave, just getting the ball in the box. Of course, they got two goals from that wing. You know, they were they were excellent and just exploiting that weakness down uh, Palace's left. I wrote a piece about this yesterday. I was really, really impressed with how in that first half, especially, they just completely, as you say, dominated that side of the pitch. I'm surprised to, say, to hear you say that you were... Feeling sorry for Tyreek Mitchell, that thought had never crossed my head. I was just too busy thinking about how good they were. But I do remember seeing uh, poor Mark Gahey, the left centre-back, just sat on the floor staring ahead when Longstaff pinched the ball off him and essentially killed the game at 3-0 at half-time. I think you could see on those Palace defenders' faces that they wanted to be anywhere else but St James's Park. But just talking about that right-hand side... How many times last season did we see Trippier, Miggy and Almiron... Uh, sorry, Trippier, Miggy, Miggy and Bruno with that triangles and just yeah. dominating that right-hand side. And now, Longstaff's really occupying that role that Bruno played. I mean, there was runs in behind that he's doing. No surprise he's adding, you know, goals to his game. He's already equaled his best scoring tally in a Newcastle shirt for the season. It's just working really well. And I think, I know we're probably going to touch on it later about England, but for me, I just think the calls are growing, you know, they're growing too loud to ignore now when it comes to Sean Longstaff. Don't you worry, I've got a whole segment uh, <laughs> dedicated to Gow Southgate in England after Saturday's performance by Newcastle 9. Eight English players in that uh, starting 11, but we will get onto that later in the show. But with Newcastle United really making the most of the, the weakness down the Palace left, I think it just reaffirms a key component about this Newcastle United side that when they sense a weakness and they're on top, they do go for blood. You know, they want to make the most of it and they want to kill the opposition off as soon as they can. And you know, in many ways, like the Burnley game, you get to an hour, you're thinking you can blow the whistle right now because the job is done. But that again is a sign of a good team. You know, by the time the hour mark comes uh, comes around, Newcastle have done what they needed to do. They've got the game sewn up, and there's no danger of them throwing it away. They were just they were clinical. And do you think the the, the work in the build up to the game, Eddie Howe had pinpointed Mitchell that they, they'd worked on that through the week? Maybe I think you know Tyreek Mitchell. By the way, is no bad left back, a very very good up and coming promising fullback. Mark A on the left hand side of that defence has been you know raved about even tentatively linked with Newcastle in the summer. I'm not I don't think you could really look at that from the off and think that's the area we need to pinpoint. But I think Newcastle are just really good now at using Trippier, using usually Miggy down that right hand side. As I say Longstaff drifts out there all the time and in behind. And I think you know we saw it in the second minute before Newcastle even scored Trippier tries to ping a ball in behind and Anderson comes across to clear it and that set the tone really Trippier had one of those games as he keeps having week in week out by the way where he just looks a class above everybody else Murphy was on it for minute one Longstaff was causing all sorts of problems down that that the left hand side of Palace's defence it was just something that worked and I think you know why change it and I think I felt a little bit sorry in the first half for Anthony Gordon if anyone because he was making some fantastic runs and nothing was going down that left hand side um, but it's just another you know another you can you can tell definitely that they are working on that behind the, behind the scenes yeah, it's nice to see you know the players who are coming in like Jacob Murphy take their opportunity as well and we'll talk about that first goal then Jacob Murphy, Murphy with the cross that looped over the goalkeeper <laughs> and into the back of the net Lovely build-up, diagonal ball from Fabian Shea. Kieran Tripper with a lovely little side foot into Murphy, who then puts the ball in the back of the net. And it was a perfect start for Murphy, who got then uh, two assists into his logbook as well. And, and the big question is, was Jacob Murphy in that starting eleven because of rotation? You know, Miguel Mion had just come back from an international duty. Or was he in there because he's in with a serious shout of, of you know, actually nailing down a first-team place ahead of Miguel Almiron. And regardless of whatever your answer is, Aaron, after a man-of-the-match performance like that, he has to be in with a serious shout of starting against Dortmund in midweek, doesn't he? Yeah, I think it was a bit of both in terms of Miggy, as you say, very, you know, 
uh, a lot of travel during the international break. You obviously had that little uh, drive and fine and ban issue to him last week. I think that's probably played into how his thoughts a little bit. But on Murphy, let's not take anything away from it. Jacob Murphy is now in with a shout of starting for Newcastle United. Every time he's been called upon this season, he's delivering, he's getting much better. He's adding goals to his game, he's adding assists. He, I mean, somebody's just wrote in the comments there, but him, Trippier and Longstaff were absolutely unplayable. That was one of the best we've, times we've seen Jacob Murphy in a Newcastle shirt. And if that assist for Callum Wilson was anyone else, if that was Kevin De Bruyne or anyone like that, you wouldn't hear the last of it. And I think now we're starting to see that Murphy's, you know, yes, he's a squad player in the sense that he can, you know, he fills in and does a job, but actually he's not a weak spot when he comes into this team. And on the matter of starting on Wednesday... For me, I think you start that that full team again. I don't think you make any changes from it. So I think I would I would have Murphy in. Interesting. Didn't see that one come. I mean, Murphy, some of the balls he was putting into the box were yeah. just absolutely so delightful. dangerous. And there was a moment when he uh, he gets down and he's very close to the byline and Trippier's there, he's in space and he mm. wants the ball. He was fuming, Trippier. And he turns and then he runs at the defence and you can hear the... But, you know, it very nearly paid off and... I understand that maybe Trippier wanted the ball there. Some of the fans did groan and said, why did you get Trippier? But I'm also no, all for Murphy being direct, saying, you know what, I've got the talent and ability to put this ball in the box. And Wilson, you know, arguably, was it, I think, yeah, it was Wilson headed over. Was, was that not the Gordon one? The Gordon off the bar? Was there was a Gordon off the Was that when he turned in and put it in? There was yeah. too many crosses to yeah. even... Well, that, well, I think that I'm pretty sure the, the Murphy one you were talking about was for Gordon. And, was and minutes later, Trippier did one for Wilson. I remember... In real time, watching that and Trippier, I was screaming for the ball and, and I thought, oh, okay, Murphy should have given it earlier. But does that have the confidence to take Lerner on and beat him? You know, he's a player clearly, you know, firing Freddie Howe. He's, he's, as I say, every time he steps into this team now, apart from maybe AC Milan where, you know, none of the attackers really had a good game, he, he's more than doing enough. And for me, as I said, I would, I would start him on Wednesday. There we go. Let us know in the comments whether you would start Jacob Murphy on Wednesday against Borussia Dortmund. And yes, you mentioned there the assist for the Callum Wilson goal in the second half. I mean, what a lovely, lovely pass. I mean, that again, that whole goal was absolutely superb to watch. The pass out to Murphy um, to start with is fantastic. And then Murphy just to pinpoint uh, Wilson, who then is cool and collective in his finish. A, a really nice team goal. And that's it. Newcastle are scoring lovely goals now as well. you know, And their passing range has just come on leaps and bounds you know you've got players again we always hark back to the, the development that Eddie Howe has, has done of, of certain players the likes of Jacob Murphy the likes of Sean Longstaff and the likes of Joe Linton I mean some of the passes that these players are, are, are pinging left right and centre weren't in their, their their game two two or three years ago well Murphy's Murphy's the big one for me because how many times did we say yes he's an absolute grafter but he doesn't have an end product he can't score goals you know his crosses are never you know getting past the first man we're starting to see now a much more clinical Jacob Murphy's making the right decisions. Sean Longstaff has massively improved that area of his game where he's picking passes that he wouldn't have picked two seasons ago, as you say. Kieran Trippier does it week in, week out. I mean, Fabian Cher on Saturday. Just I know Palace were giving him a lot of time on the ball and that was you know something you should never do with Fabian Cher. But some of those passes he was picking out, I mean, that crossfield ball for the first goal, I mean, it's a lot to do with Trippier's first you know, first time pass to Murphy. But Fabian Shea, I mean, everybody talks about Wacky Manison and, you know, Newcastle potentially going in from in the summer. Wacky Manison has Fabian Shea posters on his wall, I reckon, after Saturday's oof, there. Oof. Well, I was speaking to someone on Saturday about Anderson and the, the alleged price tag that came up in the summer and obviously it was reportedly £40 million for Anderson. And uh, the gentleman I spoke to said... He's worth every every penny. You know, the only thing missing from his game to make him, um, you know, not like kind of a Man City kind of esque yeah, player yeah. is is a bit of pace. And he says he's he's, he's very like Fabian Cher in the way he plays. He can pick a pass. Um, so don't write that one off. I think is you know them two together the options that Real could have. You know, if, if Newcastle go back in January would be very interesting. And we're going to talk about Fabian Cher and Jamal Lasalle's later in the show because I've got some stats and um, which. I think proves at this moment in time they may just be the best centre back pairing in the Premier League. You don't agree? Or on current form? On current form. Yeah, on current yeah. form. I mean, look, the stats don't lie, and Newcastle's defensive record of recent weeks doesn't lie. Um, come back to us on that later. Right. Once I've had a time to think of the the other options on. on uh, Anthony Gordon then adds to his tally, missed from six yards out. Yeah. And, 
Should he have scored? I think it, the deflection from the keeper made it a little more difficult than you know it possibly was 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 about to be had he not touched that. Um, probably should still. Score he though, should probably be. score. I think the replays make it look worse because of. I mean, I didn't realize in in real time how close he was to the goal. I mean, I think he's inside the six yard box. Um, I'm all for Jolinton's reaction to the miss. No, I haven't haven't seen. That. You need to watch the replay again. Just yeah. watch Jolinton stand in front of him, just like. He just can't believe his hat. He's just, <laughs> how have you missed that? But, you know, Gordon then to get back up, forget about that miss, and then get back into the box and, and, and score. I think the fact that he, he missed the West Ham game through suspension, mm-hmm. he missed out on a call-up to the England squad. Look, he should have been in there. 100% should have been in that squad. But it's paid off for Newcastle United because he looked re-energised. He was full of running. His batteries definitely recharged. I know you're saying he didn't have too much of the ball in that first off, but he was still a danger. There was a few cuttings. There was a lovely little kind of back heel turn that he did and then he passed the ball out wide for one of the chances that came in Newcastle United's way. He looked like a man who really made the most of a break and that said, he's just had a little a little kid, so I know that he probably hasn't had all that much <laughs> sleep. Uh, I feel you, Anthony, but he definitely looked like he had more in his tank um, against Palace than he did in the, in the games pre, prior to, to missing that West Ham one. Well, it was something we spoke about maybe on the last show, maybe the one before, where we said maybe it's a blessing that he hasn't been called up. Yes, we want to see him in an England shirt. Yes, as you say, I think he deserves it and I think those calls are going louder and louder. But missing West Ham and having just a week away, you know, Eddie Howe wanted to give him a little bit of a break before Harvey Barnes got injured. And, you know, it turned out that he couldn't, especially with Alexander Rizek not being fully fit either. Um, so I think there's a good thing. I thought, if I'm honest, I think I think you know what you're getting with Gordon now. I don't think there's ever a week where we've sat here since he came back in the team and said, oh, you know what, he maybe wasn't given enough. I think every week now we're starting to see these sort of miggy level performances off the ball. You know, you've, you're obviously going to talk about the work back in the first half. I think it's what we, we saw massively against City, massively against PSG. The work he does off the ball now is equally as important to what he does with it at his feet. Well, you are right. I have got a, a moment to talk about, which just reaffirms the work rate of Anthony Gordon. And it's something that benefits uh, Dan Byrne as well, to have a, a man who's in front of him, who is able to track back, not only willing, but actually able to do the job as well. And there was a moment when Gordon lost the ball and Palace hit Newcastle on the counter. Now, excuse me, I can't remember who the man was with the ball that, that took Palace forward, but Gordon made up the ground and he won the ball back and took the ball back down the other end. And it's that kind of work with that sort of, sort of effort that makes all the difference. And, and again, I just you know that's why Dan Byrne is looking so good as well. Yeah, so massively it is. And I think, you know, how many times were we saying last season that you can't have Dan Byrne in that team with, with Maxi in front of him. And now you've got a winger who will do both sides of the job and he'll do the dirty work as well as trying to score the goals. Um, for me, for going, I just, I'm slowly but surely every week he's becoming arguably my favourite Newcastle player. And I didn't think I'd be saying that when we signed him less than a year ago. What is it about him? My, the one thing I really like about him is his, is his off the ball work and I think for a player like him 22 years old very flashy very you know attack minded when he was at Everton I didn't really think that you'd ever get this player out of him you know is it a personal decision that he's made to stay in the team is it something that Eddie Howe's been working with him I just think he's getting much better with the ball at his feet he's better at decision making he's better in front of goal he's you know he's proven undroppable as I said a couple of weeks ago on this podcast but I just think what he gives this team off the ball, the pressing from the front. I'm gonna say I think he's now in my he's now in my top three of, of my favourite Newcastle players. Currently or all time. No, currently, currently. currently. just just had to double check. Currently. I, I do I, I love his work rate and effort and I'm glad that he's he's silenced the, the, the doubters and the, and, the, and the critics who were there from day one, let's be honest, but you had to put trust in Eddie Howe and, and the transfer team and it's great to see in terms of my favourite current Newcastle United player, I, st- I still can't look past Joe Linton. Really? Yeah, and a lot of people talking about his lack of blonde hair, um, <laughs> and he's gone back to his his, his natural colour, I think. And uh, so he said, people are saying it's a little harder to spot him. Now, he didn't look himself, obviously. I think he's still working back to, to full fitness, but I still think him being back in the side offered a presence that wasn't there previously. And obviously, look, we'd all love Anderson, uh, Eddie Anderson to be starting week in, week out, and he's got a big future ahead of him, but I can understand why even though I don't think he was fully fit, 
he's played Joe Linton in that middle of the park as well because you know with the likes of Decore in, in the Palace side you know they can still be quite physical they're missing two big players and as in an Elise but they still have that presence in the middle of the park with with especially Decore um, so putting Joe Linton in there just adds a little bit more muscle than than you would have otherwise but. He, no, it's, it's clear he's not fully fit, I don't think. Yeah, I think he is just working back from that well, one knee injury that he picked up last month and also the hamstring injury. I think it's, it's good to see him back in this team. I mean, you saw how much of an, uh, a difference he made when he was brought back in probably a bit quicker than how I would have imagined against Manchester City. Um, as you say, it's the muscle that he offers. It's, it's, it's just as much what he offers off the ball and what he does on. Um I get your point on Lansing. As you said, there'll, there'll be plenty of opportunities this season and beyond for him. Um, but I think this midfield three that we've had in the last couple of games is the one that works the best at the moment. Kieran Trippier is my favourite player. Simply outstanding, says Jordy Tune for life. And Jasper makes the point um, that Newcastle had Alan's at maximum. He was a crowd pleaser, but far too little hard work rate. At, and then product Gordon, crowd pleaser because of his hard work and end product. And a lot of people talking about Jacob Murphy versus Miguel Almiron for that uh, place on the right wing on Wednesday. A lot of people making the point that they benefit different players. So if it's Wilson up top, you play Jacob Murphy because of the delivery in the box. A lot of people talking about the lack of crosses from Miguel Almiron. Um, and others saying, yes, Almiron benefits Isaac more than he would benefit Wilson. So it all depends on who starts up top. Who do you start then? I... Uh, I would start Jacob Murphy. I think he'll start Miguel Almiron. Though. Why? Why? Why would you start Murphy over Almiron? Because I think you can't put a shift in like that, two assists, a goal, and just arguably your best performance um, of the season, and not be within it within a conversation of start. And I think I I don't. I asked you the question whether it was rotation, or. You know, and, and and he wasn't within a shout of starting on Wednesday. And I, I actually think it was probably just, you know, rest for Almiron. But I think anyhow, now as an actual problem after that performance, I'd, I'd, I I would personally would start Murphy. So, so I mean, you, you seemed very surprised when I said I would keep the same team as Saturday. What's your team for Wednesday then? My team for Wednesday then, it'll be uh, the same. Nick Pope, Trippier, Lascelles, uh, Cher, Dan Byrne. I personally, Murphy, Joe Linson, Bruno, Longstaff, Gordon, and Callum Wilson. So it's the same team. It is. It is the same team. I yeah, just said the same that. Team, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it is the same team. I was waiting for you there to go the that same you, team, you, but it would be you, Isaac for Wilson. You but you're, you're, you're with in. me. You're with me that it's Wilson. Over well, me. the team Eddie Howe will pick. No, no. no the, I'm, I'm asking Andrew Musgrove, who was yes, stood there the in the same, dugout. It's the same team. I just didn't think you'd pick that team. And now I've yeah. said it off the top of my head. I would actually agree with you. So yes, you've lured me in there. And you've caught me right what by. But you. the team Eddie Howe will pick, I think he'll pick Isaac. And I think he'll pick Almiron. See, I, I, I was watching Alexander Isaac the other day. And I think he just doesn't look fit at I all. Thought, I, see, I thought he came off the bench and he looked sharp. I didn't think he looked fit at all. A lot of walking around. Not much Not much movement off the ball. There was, there was that more, a great little touch and turn. And I, I don't know. I thought he looked all right. I think Wilson should get the nod Wednesday. I, and I, I think he will. Honestly, I think he will. Especially after missing PSG. Well, yes. I mean, you want him to have that Champions League experience. But I don't know. I just think Eddie Howe may just, may just surprise you and I anyway. Again, let us know in the comments yeah, uh, your thoughts. Um, but yeah, Gordon, fantastic. And I do want to talk actually about Bruno Gomeresh because uh, the chap I sat next to would not shut up about him all Saturday <laughs> because he was just raving about man with good reason. And he was saying he looks a yard quicker. He looks sharper on the ball. His reactions are better. He wasn't getting caught in possession. And I, I totally agree. It, it looks like Bruno is back. Whether being on international duty um, has helped him and just having a break from the Premier League, you know, being taken out of that firing line because he was getting a bit of criticism. I mean, the last game of the Premier League, he, he performed really well as well. Um, but he does look back to his best. I think I think the last four or five or six games, I think he's been back to his best. I thought, I mean, Sheffield United, it's such a terrible excuse to use because everybody in black and white or whatever strip they were wearing that day looked you know, on their A game because of how bad Sheffield United were. But I think from about that time period, we started to see the Bruno of old. Um, I think, as you say, I think he's, he's probably back to the best that we were seeing him last season. He's got those cobwebs dusted away from the start of the season. He's got that, you know, that little spot that he had with the fans out the way and it's now just blue skies ahead. 
Um, and it's very good to see that that new contract's all sorted as well. Don't know how much that was hanging over him. Good to see that that's done and dusted. Um, yeah, no, I thought I thought it was good Saturday. Really, really good. I think the last six weeks, I think we've started to see the best of him again. And how much has Sean Longstaff got to, to do with that? So much. He's just ah, oh, he's just so good. I can't explain how good he is. And everybody was doubting me last season when I was saying that he was the, you know, the key to this midfield. Sorry, I just need to clear something up because in my head the conversations about Longstaff last season were totally different. They weren't. There were there there was people. I mean, now. Well, there, what, so hang on. Um, let let me let me rewind because you know your short term memory. You won't remember this. Oh. Around April time when Sean Longstaff was playing out of his skin as he has been for the last year and people and then he got left out of the team at Villa and they got absolutely spanked at Villa Park and I was saying I was banging the drum going now people are going to realize what he means to this team and now I've been proved right because he literally take him out of this team and they're just a different animal altogether but didn't you say Scott McTominay should come in and no, replace him no 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 I didn't say that he should come in and replace Longstaff I was I was for the signing of Scott McTominay but I wasn't I wasn't saying send Longstaff the other way to Manchester United for him, was I? Okay. And I'm sure that somebody will have the evidence of that in the archives. Um, but yeah, no, he is just, the, the statistics don't lie. And I think this season, we're, we're seeing that Newcastle United with Longstaff from in from the outset, seven in a row and beaten. Um, he, he's just, he's the difference maker on that team. Yeah, certainly since his return uh, to the start of 11, another Storm performance by him. The run for the goal, it's kind of becoming his trademark yeah. as well. Down that kind of right into the box and, and, and shooting across the goalkeeper. Very similar to the, the PSG hit, but he's adding goals to his game. And that, for me, is what has always been missing. There's been two elements to his game, which I think he's always had to improve on. And we're seeing that in the last month, six weeks or so. And one was not dilly-dallying on the ball, not being slow on it, not getting caught in possession. And I think he's starting to eradicate that from his game. It's not fully gone, but it's better. It's much better. It's best it's ever been. And it was goals. He needed to add goals to his game. And he's doing that now. And look, you know, Castanet got all this money in the world, but they've got a homegrown lad right there who's not only performing out of his skin, but he's providing the key. He's unlocking the key for arguably better players to perform at a high level as well. He is, and look, just just a word on Sandro Tonali, and we don't know what's going to happen with him at this stage, but it looks like, you know, a very significant barn coming his way. I would argue that even if none of this was hanging around Tonali, I think he would really struggle to get in this team above Sean Longstaff. I don't think, um, you know, the midfield at the start of the season with him in, it's no fault of his own. I just think, you know, wasn't getting the results anywhere near what we're getting now. It's much more balanced, and Longstaff adds that. What he offers... Off, out of possession is ridiculous as awareness. He's probably the fittest player on that pitch as well, which is a huge thing. Um, when you compare the running stats now to what it was like under Bruce, it's just, I mean, the, collectively it is, but for Longstaff especially. And as you say, there was times last season where you could tell he was, he'd been told he'd need to start getting in goal-scoring positions more, but he's still missing these big chances. Now, he's picking the ball up anywhere in the box you think he's going to score. Confidence has grown. Um for me, he's like Gordon. I think he's just undroppable at the moment. Yeah, Longstaff's main strength seems to be adapting to suit others, other players' strengths, says Jasper. A lot of love for Sean Longstaff in the comments. And it's interesting you mentioned Tonali because you're right. I think even if Tonali wasn't facing a ban, it would be very harsh to drop Longstaff for Tonali. And I think what we saw at the start of the season, there was an attempt to, to maybe do that and, and try and force Tonali and Bruno together. Clearly didn't work. The, the, the two similar in one way, and you know the, the, the dynamic just wasn't there between them two. And Sean Longstaff has deservedly come in, made that place his own, and, and we're seeing the benefits now. Yeah, we are absolutely. And I think I don't think it was you know the fault of Eddie Howe trying to fit Tonali at the start of the season. You've got to remember Sean Longstaff wasn't fully fit. You know he, he hardly played during pre-season. He, he needed a couple of games to get up to speed. Um, and as somebody said there now, it just doesn't matter who you're playing in that midfield alongside, he's adapted to their strengths. Uh, whether it's Miggy or Murphy on the right, he's playing very well. I don't think it's any coincidence that being near Kieran Trippier on the pitch is helping him as well. Um, and Eddie Howe said after Saturday when we spoke to him about Longstaff, he said, I always knew he was a goal scorer. I'm not too sure about that. I don't think many of us would have had Sean Longstaff down as a finisher two or three years ago. But Howe clearly says that he's, he's so 
saw something long staff um and now what you know they get the rewards for i it. guess part of that comes though as well you've got to be given the license to roam and that also comes with the players you're playing with there's not a chance that if you were playing a midfield three you know when when you look at the team two or three years ago that really all three of them could have been given license to roam and, you, and you're confident of newcastle actually making the most of that because you know they would have got so far lost the ball and been hit on the counter what you've got now is you know they are they're allowed to go forward and they either take their chances and if they do mess up they do lose the ball then they're that fit and they're that quick that they're, they're often back in time to make up for their own mistakes which is not something we've seen from this newcastle side under the likes of steve bruce and rafa benitez and that's down to either the work rate and the training that Eddie Howe puts to them, but also, you know, the quality additions that are in that squad, the likes of Bruno, and then obviously Julian playing at a high level as well. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And I think on top of that and, and the defensive work that he offers, I think going forward, if you look at that midfield that we've been using, that we've been praising, Julian and Bruno Longstaff, there isn't a lot of goals in that midfield. Sean Longstaff adding that now is is thingy because Joel Linton isn't going to score you ten or fifteen a season and Bruno probably isn't either. Um, so if Longstaff can you know keep this run up, they're absolutely laughing. And he's got to be in the England squad, hasn't he? Sooner rather than later. And just on England, Longstaff scores, Jacob Murphy scores, Anthony Gordon scores, Callum Wilson scores. So that's four English goal scorers. And the man of the match performance, in my view, from Jamal Lascelles again. Uh, Kieran Trippier reaffirming his status is arguably the best right-back in world football at this moment in time. Dan Byrne putting in another solid shift. And Nick Pope having next to nothing to do, but yet still stepping up to tip that free kick over the bar late in the second half, being switched on despite having, like I say, nothing to do. Mr. Gow Southgate, were you watching? Where on earth were you? Because let's be 100% blunt about this. At least two three of those players on top of Kieran Trippier should be in that England squad. Sean Longstaff, definitely. Anthony Gordon, 100%. Nick Pope, yes. Callum Wilson, yes. And you know what? Why not? Throw Dan Byrne in. He's earned it. He's performing at a, high, a very high level. Jamal LaSalle's maybe? No? Okay, I'll give you that one. But Gordon and Longstaff without a shadow of a doubt. And where was Southgate? Eight starters in that team. Why was Gareth Southgate? Plus the English players that play for Palace. Why was he not up here watching that game on Saturday? Well, it's funny because the last uh, the last couple of months, I've got a sneak suspicion that Southgate has got a half-season ticket because every other week he's at St. James's Park, sat with Stavely, sat with Caducey, and as you say, where on earth was he on Saturday? Because as as you say, eight starters, all English. Not all eight of them should be in the English squad. Can we just get that clear before people in the comments? I don't think Jamal Lascelles and Jacob Murphy should be in with an England shout. If I'm completely honest, I don't think Dan Byrne should really be either, but... What I will say is, Callum Wilson, now that he's back fit and firing, got to be back in the conversation. I know he was injured ahead of the last squad. I can't for the life of me work out why Nick Pope has been left out of the last two, especially when you look at Sam Johnston, who's getting in above him. Um, Trippier, as we know, don't need to say anything. Gordon's the one for me that, as, as we said last week, and I, I don't want to sort of repeat what we said last week, but... You look at what he's done in 2023, the improvement, how he performed for England over the summer, the fact he's adding goals to his game now, coupled with the injuries that England had in the last international break, this time next month, you've got to think that he's been there. It's funny, isn't it, when you look at England as well, because Calvin Phillips came out after the last uh, international break and said, Gareth Southgate pretty much said, I need first-team football if I want to be part of this squad. Instantly, he's thrown Newcastle's way, Newcastle had, you know, did watch him in the summer, you know, tentative kind of uh, questions about whether he might come to Newcastle. He decided he wanted to stop down there. His family, and he also wanted to make this dream move a, a reality. You know, he wanted to make a success at Man City. But Calvin Phillips, Newcastle United, who's he kicking out with that starting 11? Based on the form that they've got now, now we know the San Tenali situation might kind of accelerate. Do they need a, a replacement for Tenali? But even then, if Joe Linson... If Bruno Longstaff continue in this form, they're going to have blips, but for the large part, I can see them continuing in, the, in this fashion. Then Elliot Anderson as well. Callum Phillips, won't, Callum Phillips will move from Manchester City to Newcastle just to sit on the bench again. Yeah, I, I would agree on current form, definitely. I think there's still definitely a player in Callum Phillips. And I don't want to write him off too quickly because, you know, if you even get anywhere close to what he was like at Leeds, 
you know, what Bielsa got out of him. I think there's a player there, but I agree with you. On current form, he doesn't get in this team. Um, the thing is, though, with Longstaff is I feel I've got a really horrible feeling that we're going to be sat here in a month's time having the same conversation. Why has Gareth Southgate picked Jordan Henderson and Calvin Phillips? Do you know what, though? It's a horrible feeling that I will take because it means he's still performing at a top level. Well, this is the thing, and Eddie Howe, you know, has so far this season been very, very hesitant to comment on anything in England matters. Every time it gets brought up, he says, it's not my decision, I don't want to put any pressure on Southgate. There's definitely a little part of him that says, Gareth, please do not pick my players. The schedule that they've got coming up, yes, it would be fantastic for Longstaff, more than anyone to pull on an England shirt, given where he's come from. It would be fantastic to see uh, Anthony Gordon get a senior cap after what he did in the summer. But I bet Yeddy Howe is in absolutely no rush to send them. No, because it means they can take a nice rest. Exactly. And I'd like Anthony Gordon get recuperated and come back and perform uh, you know, at a really high level. Now, Les says, my concern in a loan move for Calvin Phillips is that it would take the whole of the loan to get, <laughs> to get him fit. And I'm <laughs> sure a lot of people will share your sentiments on that. Um, I want to talk about Jamal LaSalle's now. Yeah. Because I felt he had another absolutely fantastic game. Um, and I know there's been a lot of talk, quite rightly, about Fabian Cher. But LaSalle's, I felt, put in a, a top performance. And United, obviously, they weren't really pushed defensively at all. But LaSalle's got three important blocks in. He had to battle up against Mateta, who is an absolute giant. I didn't yeah, realise how tall he? he is. And he showed absolutely no fear. Now, if he continues this form, and again, it's ifs and buts, but if he continues this form... It would be very difficult to bring Sven Botman in, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it will be. And I think uh, I'd actually love to know what people in the comments watch and think about this because, you know, I'm sure it's a question that you're going to ask. But I think if Botman was, maybe Dortmund's a bad example. Who do they play on? Wolves on the weekend. If I don't think Botman will be fit, but if he is, who do you play? Do you play Botman and bring him back in or do you play Lascelles? Because for me, it's similar to what you said about Murphy on Wednesday. How can you really drop a player who is like performing at such a good level? And it's not just playing one every three games well. You know, Lascelles has consistently since he came in hardly put a foot wrong. For me, I think he keeps his place when Botman's fit again. For how long, I don't know. But I think in the short term, definitely. Yeah, we had this conversation, me and, me and some pals after the game on Saturday and it was, well, if Botman's 100% fit, you bring him back in for Lascelles because... Botman is the better centre-back. But mm. my argument was, well, he can be 100% fit, but match fit's a totally different uh, ball game. And you don't also want to set up uh, upset that dynamic. Because at the moment, Fabian Cher and Jamal Lasalle, they're performing really, really well. Um, and I know I said earlier in the show, the best centre-back pairing in the Premier League at this moment in time. Let me just kind of... Explain yourself, please. What I forgot to mention was the important bit because it based around... Well, do you know what, actually? No, screw it. I, I mean, go on. Name me a better centre-back pairing at the moment. Um, Saliba and Gabriel. You think? Yeah. Okay. You think they were, they were about that level or not? Look, I, they have, they've hardly put a foot wrong. Um, if I'm honest, I didn't know you were going to ask the question, so I'm now trying to quickly think of other centre-back pairings. Uh, Van de Venen... Romero, Tottenham are playing very, very well. Arsenal, as I say, you know, aren't really conceding. City have only conceded seven in the league. They're playing very, very well. Let's leave it at that. Well, let me read you let, let, some let's, stats. Let's ask, let's ask the viewers. Let us know in the comments. Are Jamal Sells and Fabian Chair currently the best central defensive partnership in the league? Form. On current form. On form. Um, <laughs> let's look at some stats because it's offensively as well where they've, they've impressed. Um You've got a partnership that looks very comfortable on the ball. So, Lascelles had 105 touches of the ball with Fabian Cher registering 92. So the top two players in the game. Mm -hmm. Lascelles registered 85 passes in the game more than anyone else. He had a pass completion rate of 89%. Now, of those who started the game, it was only bettered by... Fabian Cher. There you go, 92%. The pair registered the most carries of the ball. Uh, 72 for Fabian Cher, 70 for Lascelles. And one thing that really stood out for me was Fabian Cher topped the charts with 13 accurate long balls and Lascelles topped the charts for the most accurate short passes with 41. They've kind of got a centre-back pairing on the ball that can do it all, right? I tell you what, that's why you're paid the big bucks. You get everything on this podcast, guys. Stats like that. Um, 
Yeah, look, one thing that I found and I've found really impressive by Jamal Sales recently, and I wrote about it after the City game, is how much better he's got with the ball at his feet. He's now very, very comfortable carrying out a defence and picking a pass, whether it's a short pass or maybe something more audacious. I mean, he's nowhere near Fabian Chair level yet. And I don't think many players in the league are, but he's definitely improved that side of his game. He's much better with the ball at his feet. And there was times on Saturday where Palace was sitting so deep, Newcastle were literally had at 10 men in Palace's half and Cher and Lascelles was on the ball. And I mean, given Cher that much time, that high up the pitch, you know, you're asking to get beat. And I think that was what Palace just really struggled with. They just put no pressure on them at all. Well, that's what we're seeing um, in recent weeks is that the lesson for the opposition is if you stand off Newcastle United and let yeah. the defence play out, they're going to welcome that and they're going to destroy you. And I think this is reaffirmed by the final stat that I've got here. Um, the distance of progressive passes going forward. 238 yards, Fabian Cher, so he tops the list. 211 yards, Jamal LaSalle's, and 134 yards, Kieran Trippier. So it is a very much a case of that if you give Newcastle the time to play out, they have players who can absolutely punish you. You've got the Fabian Cher, the diagonal ball, like we said, for the Murphy goal. Right after that, LaSalle's pinged one over to the left, to the flank to Gordon. You know, players who are comfortable. And the other good thing about that is that actually, if you do try and press Newcastle United, they'll just hit you on the counter anyway. Yeah, 100%. And that, that's what we saw. I mean, Palace thought they might have got a consolation to make it 3-1, and about two seconds later, it was in the net, Callum Wilson at the other end. And that was just it's just another sight in Newcastle's game that we don't usually see at home. Um but yeah, I would just echo what you said. I thought Cher on the ball Saturday was absolutely fantastic. Lascelles has proven we can make out that he's you know more than capable. He's probably, arguably, enjoying the best spell of form we've probably seen in the Newcastle shirt, and that says a lot, given how long he's been at the club. So for me, as harsh as it is on Sven Botman, who equally hasn't really put a foot wrong, I would like to see Lascelles stay in the team for as long as Possible. Until he has a bad bad game, yeah. arguably you would say, and hopefully that, that doesn't happen there. Roger says he knew he tuned in for something. The stats, you're very welcome, <laughs> Roger. Uh, Les says shares distribution was yeah, outstanding, it was. And, it, and it always has been. And we were talking there about Sean Longstaff eradicating the, the errors from his game. Fabian Share has done that as well because you guys know, you listen to this podcast for many years, I was one of his harshest critics, I thought. Every time you give him the ball, he just switches off, he runs into danger, or he tries to swipe someone down, he's never getting mm. there. And I think we've probably seen those mistakes two, three times in the last year, 18 months maybe. Um, as a whole, he's improved so much. And again, that's down to whatever the secret is at Benson. I'm not, I don't even know what it is. I would like yeah, to know what it is. I would love to be on a fly on the wall. No, I completely agree. Shay, Shay used to be a little bit of a liability. It used to be the liability in that back four. As you say, those mistakes have all but completely gone um, in recent months. I think there is still a tendency, maybe sometimes, that we see those laps in concentration, but completely nothing like what we used to see. Um, and long may it continue. Yeah, fingers crossed. Now, we're talking about Sven Botman and whether he would come back into the side. Just tell our listeners and viewers what Eddie Howe had to say about Botman, because we're talking about it, but actually... It's a pretty irrelevant question, isn't it? Yeah, there was a, there was a, a you know a few whispers in the week that he he might be back, he might be fit. You know, everyone thought he had a really good international break. Eddie Howe gave nothing away Friday as usual, um, and then on Saturday night, sort of came out and said, "Look, I'm I'm sorry I couldn't tell you on Friday, but he's not close to being back, and it doesn't look like he'll be back for another week or two um, at the earliest." Big blow, but I think you know when you've got the cells in this type of format, it you know it's. It doesn't matter as much, does it? Are you shocked by Lascelles' rise to form? Yeah, massively. I, I think I don't think there'll be any Newcastle United fans that aren't. And look, it's Lascelles probably got a, a, a much you know worse press than he deserved because he never played anymore. He was just sort of seen as you know being this dressing room leader who would fill in every now and again. He filled in a couple of times that season, did himself a lot of favours, but ultimately Newcastle was still losing against the likes of City and Manchester. Uh, City and Liverpool when he came in I don't think anybody expected the type of performances we've seen I don't think anybody expected those the, the PSG performance to be replicated week in week out since um, so yeah I mean yeah I am surprised I'm not going to pretend any different I, and I think I, I was looking on, on Twitter before we came on air and a, a sales poll popped up and it was would you give him a new deal 
and I voted yes on it. And it was something like 85% of, of the votes so far had said yes. And I think if that question had been asked two, three months ago, I guarantee it would not have, probably wouldn't have even been half the Well, I would point you back to our YouTube channel a few months ago where I said you give Jamal Asiles a new contract, you keep him around uh, the club. And it's for exactly this reason, because I always felt he'd be able to step up. Did I see him step are up? You, are, you, are you surprised? Yeah. I thought, I thought he was always a capable standing until they brought in somebody else. Yeah. But I didn't think he'd do this. Yeah, no, he's like I a totally agree. different player. Yeah, he is. He and is. also, what's really nice to see as well is that he's taken the captain's armband back, and he's still being that captain. And I've spoken to a few people about Fabian Shea, especially under the days of Rafa Benitez and and Steve Bruce, where some have felt he struggled with the captaincy because he was largely doing it by himself. You cannot underestimate the importance of bringing in that leadership group. Kevin Trippier, Dan Byrne, got Callum Wilson, you know, players who are, are sharing the load, but also he's obviously he's he's matured. And I think the performance in recent weeks we're seeing not just in being a good captain, but also a, a good defender as well. And there was a point against uh, Crystal Palace where it looked like Kevin Trippier was about to send one of the Crystal Palace players and the referee arguably into the stands after hmm. he wasn't happy with the decision. The sales comes over calms him down gets him out of that little melee because that could have ended badly for Newcastle United and it's that kind of captain that we love to see but we often only saw that part of Lascelles' game and we saw best maybe an average yeah. performance in terms of being an actual defender you know playing football now we're seeing great performances as an actual defender and maintaining and that leadership. high level of leadership and, and captaincy and I'm all for it yeah and I think just on a, on a personal note for Lascelles, um, you know a tricky couple of months with them. Uh, if I'm honest, probably a tricky couple of years being out this team. And like so many others you speak to, Shelby, Hayden, they sort of knew their time was up. For Lascelles, he probably thought that as well. And I think credit to him for saying, you know what, if Eddie Howe wants me here, and, and by the way, when you speak to Eddie Howe about him, Lascelles' work on the training ground never dropped, which you wouldn't expect from someone like him. But that was why Eddie Howe was so keen to say, if he wants to place here, He's such a good influence on this team. I will keep him in the team. Um, and now, as you say, I'm just glad that he's getting the rewards with some very, very good performances. Billy says it's increased his price tag should someone try yeah, uh, to buy him. Obviously, that means, but his contract does run out soon enough, so they will have to get him a new deal before next summer. Uh, why Man says, I'm pleased for Jamal. He's had it, been a good servant in Newcastle. I'm so happy Eddie House coached him well. Look at the players. Eddie has improved so many to mention Jamal is the latest uh, 100% agree with that. I mean, I think you will see a new contract for Jamal Lasalle's and Fabian Chair in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, hope so. Um, because you'd be daft not to. If Newcastle went back in for Anderson, would they oust either Fabian Chair, Jamal Lasalle's or Sven Botman? Uh, look, it's it's really hard, isn't it? Because, again, if, if you'd asked two months ago, would Joaquim Anderson be above... Jamal Lascelles, everybody would say yes, you know, because he probably would. He's a better footballer. Um, and I don't want to be too harsh on Anson. I know I made that little comment about him at the start. I think he'd be a very good signing. I don't want to judge him on one game. Um, on his day, he certainly gets in above Lascelles. I don't think he gets in above Botman. And then I think it would be a good rotation option to have alongside Fabian Shea. Roger says it'll take a great centre-back to effectively replace Jamal Lascelles in the squad. I think that's another key element to why you keep him around because yeah. how much money is it going to cost you to bring in a, a defender of his capability who's got his leadership, who understands what it means to play for Newcastle yeah, United, exactly. but is also accepting of his role yeah. in the squad. You know, if Botman hadn't been injured, he knew he was sitting on the bench. Yeah, exactly. So it yeah, wouldn't very, won't very be cheap, will it? Let's talk about Sandro Tonari then. Uh, the reaction that he got off the fans was something special. We're going to hear from Eddie Howe now, actually, and he was asked after the game about the fans' reception to Sandro Tonari. Then I'll get Aaron's thoughts on the latest um, with the midfielder and the imminent ban from football. Just a big thank you from me to our supporters today because that reaction, reception at the end was incredible and it was emotional. As I said on um, Friday, he's a human being. He's going through a very emotional time and the supporters reacted in the way that I hoped they would and I could feel the love um, between him and, and them and that will do him the world of good. He'll feel much better about everything, I'm sure, tonight. Um, we don't know what's ahead for him, but um, 
yeah, just a big thank you from me to them. Yeah, he's very much wanted to to play and to perform. I'm sure. I mean, I, I haven't really gone into detail on that. For me, that's a no. An, uh, there was no decision to make as as in would I or could I play him. It's like yes, I can see that from how he's trained. So there's no part of me that goes, oh, he's not ready to play football. Um, but then we have to just introduce him at the right time and make sure it's right for the team. It was a good time to do it today. I thought he played well when he came on. Um, but I just think hopefully that is a step further uh, or a step forward for him to uh, moving forward with his life. There we have it. What did you make there of Ed Howe's comments and, and the reaction to Tenari when he came off the bench? I think just first on Eddie Howe, I think, as we knew he would, I think Howe's handled this brilliantly. I thought the press conference on Friday where there was only one topic that he was going to be asked about. And there was a little part of me that thought Eddie Howe might do a thing where he's, you know, he's, he says, I can't really talk about it all, answer one or two questions and then move on. To be fair, when we stood up in front of it all, um, and I think the comments that he made after the game were, were absolutely spot on. He's clearly given Tonali a lot of support behind the scenes. On the support itself... I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. I don't know how, I'm sure you'll agree with us. I thought it was really, really special to see that the reception he got given first when he came out to warm up in the first half. I mean, that noise when he came on the pitch as a substitute, I thought was brilliant. And, and all the way through the game and at the end, I thought it was fantastic. As House said on, on Saturday, that will do him a world of good to know that he's got that support waiting for him on the fans whenever he does play again. Um, but I would completely agree with how that I think the hardest part of his journey is is ahead now because it's going to be a a really really tough battle from not being able to play. Now there's been some suggestion today via comments from his agent that they're they're looking to hopefully or they're hoping that the the ban might be reduced um, somewhat. So what is the latest as of quarter or as in half two on Monday? Yeah, um, so obviously we know that Tonali flew out to um, Italy last week. We understand that he's been cooperating with the authorities. We saw that Nicolo uh, Fagioli, the Juventus player, got his ban significantly reduced uh, down from a number of years to a year to eventually seven months because of one, how he cooperated with the authorities and two, because of uh, his admission of, of guilt and the, the gambling addiction and his um, promise to go and seek rehabilitation. I think you need to go to seven or ten sessions or, or commit to them Um to get the ban reduced. Now, on Tonali, it's slightly different. You know, the speculation in Italy is that he was betting on Milan matches, um, which carries a significantly, you know, bigger ban than Fagioli. Um, but one, the fact Tonali's cooperating so well. Two, the, the, the fact he's came out and admitted to having the addiction. I think we will see a ban significantly reduced. Saying that, I think we're still going to be talking about a, a ban of, if I had to say right now, a year or, or upwards, I think. Now, he has to serve his punishment for, for what, what he's done. I don't think anyone disagrees with that. One of the things I don't agree with, though, if the ban is like what Ivan Tony received, where you can't even train mm. with your squad. that I don't understand why that's part of the punishment. Ban him from playing games, but goodness me, what, what are the authorities achieving by stopping them actually training week in, week out? They're damaged to, to someone's mental health, they're damaged mm-hmm. to their fitness. Like... It's just an unnecessary part of the punishment, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it is. And and I think one person who spoke really well about this in recent days is Paul Merson, who obviously has had a uh, a lot of experience with this personally. Um, and he was saying the other day, I don't think players should be banned. Now, I think that is, isn't is right. I think players do need to be banned. There needs to be a, a, a um, punishment if you're betting on football matches, especially ones that you're involved in. I completely agree with you. I would like to see him still be around the club. I think he will be, even if he's not allowed to train. We don't know yet whether he will be allowed to train or not, but I think Howe has made it clear they're going to offer him as much support as they can. Um, and I think they're in good hands. We now just need to wait and hope that it, that it's not too significant. Judged on the way he was introduced and the lap at the end of the game, being pushed towards the, the crowd and Trippier with the armour on the shoulder... Can you read into that and and you looking at it and thinking the club think this ban is going to come before for what before Wednesday? Yeah, I think I think all the signs pointing towards it being imminent. Um, Tonali's lawyers, as of Monday afternoon, we're recording this, are flying out to Rome to, you know, potentially seek a plea bargain to potentially no, negotiate, you know, a lesser ban for him. Um, it certainly got the feel on Saturday as if we were saying goodbye to him, um, which would suggest that before Wednesday we're going to have an answer one way or not. 
And just talk to our listeners and viewers about that sign of leadership though from Kieran Trippier. Fantastic. Um, you, you go back to that video when Tonali first signed in the summer and Tonali was you know, caught on camera saying, if you or your family ever need anything, I'll be here. And we saw that on Saturday. Big arm around the shoulder, you know, helping them walk off the pitch when Tonali looked like he was very, very close to tears, understandably. And also Kieran Trippier, more than most, knows you know, about these situations. Yes, he wasn't caught um, gambling on football, but obviously he had that suspension when he was at Atletico Madrid for, um, you know, potentially telling uh, family members about moves ahead of time. Um, so he knows what it's like to, to sit out. He'll be a great support for Tonali, as I'm sure Lascelles and other players will be, even with no experience of this. Um, but I just thought, that, as Eddie Howe said, I thought the fans' reaction was absolutely fantastic. Um, I've seen so many rival fans on social media saying, why is Tonali getting a hero's reception when he's getting banned? What a load of nonsense, by the way. I think it was really, really good that Newcastle fans, you know, showed him that there's there's a lot of love there. Um, we got Jack saying, what does Bruno? What happens if Bruno gets injured? That is a problem. He says, can we get Neves on loan? What a player to cover for the loss of Tonali. Now, there's been a lot of talk about this in in, in the last week. Obviously, Neves is over in Saudi Arabia at a club owned by uh, the Public Investment Fund, isn't it? Um, so. I mean, that's not something I would like to see. It's got to go through the proper channels, that hasn't it? But I mean, he's a good, good player. Be a great addition. But um, it's you know, you can understand why that's kind of propped up in the last week. But I'm not. I I, I wouldn't like to see it. Great player, but I really hope Newcastle State well clear of of any players playing for Saudi and that and that conflict of interest that might arise. Um, Look, Newcastle will be fully aware of, of what potential ban could be coming down the road. They've got January coming in in little over a month. You know. Um, I'm sure that, as we've already talked about, there might be some temporary loan deals in there that they can um, get to absorb the loss at Snarley. Yeah, Roger says Trippier is as good a player as I've ever seen in the black and white shirt. What a leader and what a right back. Best right back at this present time in the world. I'm throwing the big. You're putting so many, so many questions. I'm just feeling me positive. On the spot here. Um, world football, I don't know. Premier League, definitely up there. Is he the best right back we've ever seen at Newcastle? Certainly, I would say so. In your young years, yes, exactly. There isn't, there isn't uh, too many to choose from for me. Undoubtedly, um, we're going to get on to uh, the trivia now. So, Callum Wilson scored again, forty-three goals for Newcastle United in the Premier League. That takes some joint um, with Shola, Amiobi, and Andy Cole. Can you name the other ten? The ten English. Strikers, well, goal scorers in that list. So the, I'll, I'll, I'll make it a bit clearer for you because that wasn't very clear in my head. So we'll try that again. Usual. I tried to introduce that in a way that didn't make any sense. So I want you, Callum Wilson aside, to name the 10 top English Premier League goal scorers for Newcastle United. Okay. So with uh, Callum Wilson, okay. there's 11, but obviously. Yeah. Uh, Andy Cole. Yeah. Just giving you the answer there, didn't I? Nah. No, I did with an introduction. Oh. But anyway, continue. Andy Cole. Uh, Andy Cole. Amiobi. Yeah. Um, Shearer. Yeah. Uh, Ferdinand. Yes. Um, the top ten. Is that that's all you that's all you give me? So the top, the top ten. So there's a, uh, Callum Wilson is in the top ten. Okay. So it's the, it's it's the other uh, ten. It's it's ten yeah, other yeah. players to make it up. Carol. And Carroll's in there with 15 goals. Um, Owen. Michael Owen with 26. Um, how many more? Four. So I'll give you a clue. There's one other current day Newcastle United player. Um, current Newcastle player? Yeah. Is that your stomach? That was my stomach. <laughs> I haven't had my tea. I haven't had my dinner yet. Um, <laughs> the current Newcastle player. Who would the current Newcastle player be? Thirteen Premier League goals. Um, why can't I think of any English? Thirteen goals for Newcastle. He's in. Okay, we'll leave that one. Uh, Beardsley. Beardsley. So you have Alan Shearer, Peter Beardsley, Shoram Yobi, Andrew Cole, Callum Wilson, Les Ferdinand. You've got Michael Owen. And you've got Andy Carroll. That's leaving you with three to get. Dwight Gale. No. Current player. Is he one of the eight? He couldn't be one of the eight that started. No. No. 
more later that maybe would start if he wasn't injured. Willick. You're going to soak Willick. it. Oh, there you go, Joe Willick. Joe Willick. So that leaves you with two to get. Yeah. Any hints on them? Some might argue that this player was the bargain, especially with the, the Kevin Keegan. Uh, Rob Lee. Rob Lee. And then the other one. Um, good little player signed from Ipswich. Kieran Dyer. Kieran Dyer. There we go. 23 goals for Kieran Dyer. So there you go, ladies and gents. Callum Wilson aside, the top 10 English Newcastle United players in the all time uh, list of Premier League goal scorers for the club. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, it's been a pleasure to bring you the Monday Show live on YouTube and Facebook. Hit that subscribe button. Give the video a thumbs up if you're on YouTube. And if you listen later on the podcast, pleasure as always. Please follow, give us a rating and review. And from myself and Aaron, we'll see you guys very soon. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news.